Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. All right, see, Brother Christian said, I see an opportunity. I see before me an open door that no man can shut. And he walked through that. So one more try for Brother Christian. Let's show those men again. How many of you agree with me that your neighbor is looking great today? (laughs) Flo is like, all right, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. Amen. Well, good to see everybody this morning. Thank you for coming out for uh, prayer and great atmosphere that was established here in prayer. Uh, Brother Roberts is still out of town. They'll be coming back later this week. And uh, I think I, I didn't see any pictures, but I heard there were some pictures of him with his granddaughters at Disney World. So if you want to see the softer side of Brother Roberts, check those out. Um, but we are blessed today to have... Uh, Cade Wallace with us. Brother Cade came back. Uh, so he is my first cousin once removed, I think is what he told me. Uh, we, are, we are related. So Sister to Temple, who is my first cousin, is Cade's aunt. All right, so, or aunt, however you want to say that. Uh, so Cade came back, really, even though we're family, I've only been around him a couple times in the last 19 years of his life. And then he came uh, back in May and did a, a youth week for us and did an incredible job. And uh, throughout that weekend, we were chatting a little bit, and he was uh, wanting to find some, a church to intern at for the summer, and we could use the help, so it kind of just worked out, and he's been here for the summer uh, since then. I don't know, we'll probably have him another two or three weeks before he'll be heading back home and getting ready for his senior year of college at Urshan College, and he's just been a blessing. He, did, he taught a couple times this week in the, uh, at the uh, Unity Week, and uh, our once, was it once? Once this week, and he's taught youth class. Uh, so he's just been a great blessing, done a lot of work. So the um, uh, list that we made of all the ones, the, the people that we're praying for, you remember that, the ones after I preached about the 99 and the, the one, and we made that list of all the people we're praying. Cade took that list and digitized it. And so the goal is going to be that we're going to start having that list kind of scroll during our times of prayer so we can lift those names up. And uh, a lot of other tasks he's done. He's helped with the, some of the things we've done on the stage as well. So anyway, Cade is getting ready to come right now, and he's going to teach for the next hour and a half or the next 45 minutes, somewhere in there. So Cade, we want you to come. Let's give Cade a hand clap, and uh, we're excited to hear him teach to us today. Praise the Lord, everybody. Pastor mentioned that Brother Roberts has, has been out of town the past few weeks, and while he's been gone, I've been in his house watching Duke. So I've, I've, I've replaced him in that sense, and I know Duke would rather have Brother Roberts. And this morning, Brother Roberts is out of town. I know you guys would probably rather have Brother Roberts, but, you know, whatever it takes, I'm excited to be here. I really am. He alluded to it. The first time that I was here was for a youth weekend, and I came and preached and was really connected with the youth and, and just felt a strong connection. And, and that Sunday that I was here, I did preach. Um, and, and I loved being here, and so I got a chance to come back. And since I've been back, 
Um, I, I've still been really connected with the youth. I've been really connected with the Johnsons, and, and I've just felt that strong connection. And, and really throughout my life to this point, anytime I've ministered, uh, a large majority of it has been to youth. And one thing that I've learned from teaching or preaching to youth, it's a little bit different for me than teaching or preaching to adults or, or, or to just anyone that would listen. Um, because it, it's, it's just different from a standpoint because whenever I'm teaching or preaching to youth, I can know that what I'm saying when I was in that age or when I was going through that, I can know that, you know, that would have been something encouraging or challenging for me to hear or, or, to, or to listen to whenever I was in that stage of my life. And this might come as a shocker. I really don't know a lot about uh, what it means to be an adult. I just recently turned 20, and I am going into my last year of college, and that is just mind-blowing. I'm sure the only person who finds it even crazier than I do is my mother. And... Uh, it's just weird to think that, you know, next year I'll be done, and then I've got this thing called life, and it's just, it's scary, um, so y'all be praying for me, but it's very exciting to be here today, and I can't teach from experience to you all and try to relate to you on that level, but what I can do is I can teach from the Word of God, and I can teach from what God has directed me to give to you today. And so what, what I want to teach today came from a message that was recently preached, and I, I do believe that it was Brother Irvin when he preached Defender of the Ground, and that was an incredible message. And as he was preaching it, if you were here or if you've watched it online, you, you've seen the message, and, and his, his idea was that, you know, you've got this, this, this one thing, and, and you've got something that you are meant to defend and that you won't give up. And so while he was preaching, he brings up the story of Daniel and he's going through the story of Daniel, and, and he's talking about how Daniel had something that he refused to give up. And something that he was not going to give in or conform to just because of, of the pressure that was on him to, to change who he was, to change his identity, to become someone else, someone that he was not meant to be. But rather what he did is he stood his ground. He defended that ground, as Brother Irvin put it. And, and throughout the story... It talks about Daniel in the lion's den and how God delivered him from the mouth of the lion and, and he kept him safe and he protected him. And it says that King Darius referred to God as the God of Daniel. And the decree that he makes after God delivers him from the lion's den, what he does is he refers to God as the God of Daniel. And when Brother Irvin said that, it really stuck out to me. I, I've heard that before. I've heard the God of Daniel I've heard the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've heard the God of Israel. But for some reason, this time when I heard it, it just stuck out to me, the God of Daniel. Well, then I began to think, what, what did Daniel do to get to that point to where someone could refer to God as the God of Daniel? How, how did Daniel get his name into that blank, so to speak, into that template of the God of somebody? What did Daniel do to get to that point? What was the life that he lived? What was the principles that he had? What kind of uh, disciplines did he have? Like, what did Daniel do to be able to have his name written in that blank? And so I started to think on his life, and I started to go through it all, and, and I started to study it out. And, and really what I felt like God laid on my heart was... What can we do to get our name written in that blank? How, how do I get to a point where someone can see God work in my life 
and say that is the God of Cade Wallace? How can you get to the point where they say that's the God of Trey Henderson? How do you get to that point to where your name can be written in that blank? And so today, what I, what I want to title this lesson, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of titles. I, I, whenever I write in my journal and I take notes, I find it real frustrating when preachers are preaching and they don't give a title because then the whole time I'm trying to figure out my own. And the worst is whenever they don't say the title until about 20 minutes in and I've already made up one for them and it's different. It's just a whole ordeal. So right now, I'm going to say that my title is the God of blank. And if you're writing that down, I don't mean write out the word blank. Just draw a little line there. And maybe later on you can write your name in it or something. But that's my title is the God of blank. And that, that's what I want to teach here this morning is to take us through the story of Daniel. Take us through his life. See how he got to that point of having his name written in that blank, and then how can we replicate that? How can we get to the point where our name is written in that blank, but more importantly, why do we want our name written in that blank? Why do I want someone to be able to look at my life and see God work through me and say, that's the God of Cade Wallace? What do I have to do to get to that point, and why do I want to get to that point? And so, I don't have one specific scripture that I'm going to read, and then we're going to go through the whole lesson. But rather, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the first six chapters of Daniel. So whenever I read scripture, I've seen you guys before. I really appreciate that everyone stands, even if it's just one verse. But I'm just going to ask that we just stay seated, because I'm basically going to be going through the entire first six chapters of Daniel. And I don't know how much I'm going to read word for word. We'll see how, how time plays out. But what I want to do is I want to go through... Daniel's life as it's written in scripture and see what he did to get to that point and what I hope that we see by the end of it is you can look at different aspects you can highlight different different parts about his his life but at the base of it all at the center of it all it's a relationship with God that he had and it was a relationship that he and God were, were, were like one and where God's will in his life was what Daniel lived out what Daniel wanted to do was to please God. What Daniel wanted to do was, was to do everything in accordance to his relationship with God. And so what I hope I can do today is I can help you see that the way that you get your name written in that blank is to have a relationship with God, that not just that you know about yourself, but that others can see in you and see God work through you. And so what I'm first going to look at is our first point is how we fill the blank. It's how we fill the blank. And I'm going to look at Daniel uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 3 and going through verse 8. And what I want us to see here is Daniel's identity. We're going to see Daniel's identity, and I'm going to start reading in verse 3. It says, And the king spake unto Asphanes, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding and science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. 
But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the, deport, with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And as I read through this, I realized that I did not spend enough time uh, learning how to say all these names. So I apologize if I sound a little silly up here. But Bible names are hard. And if you don't think so, you're just wrong. But we know this story. We know Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and what I see in this story is the, these young men, they, there was something within them that they had seen. There was something different about them. There, there was something that you couldn't quite put your finger on, but you knew there was something different about them. And so when they're brought into captivity, what is the first thing that they try to do? They try to change their name. They try to change their identity. They hoped that if they called them by a new name, they wouldn't call them by what they're, they're known as in their Hebrew name. Maybe they could change who they were as a person. Maybe changing that name would then in turn change their identity. But Daniel had made up in his mind, no, I am Daniel. I am a man of God. I know where I came from. I know whose name is written upon me. I know who I am. I might be in a land that, that I'm not, not meant to be in. I might not be in a land that I'm comfortable with, but I know who I am. I know my identity, and he made up in his mind, I'm not changing for anybody, but I know who I am in God. Amen. And so you see in this story, they, they changed the name of the three Hebrew boys, but Daniel had made up in his mind, my name is Daniel, and I'm a, I'm a son in Christ. I'm a son in God, and, and I know my relationship with him. I know who I am in relationship with God. And so that's the first thing that you see in this relationship is an identity, you see an understanding of, of who he is in God. And you see that he has made up in his mind that this relationship that I had with God, I'm not changing it for anybody. Even when the world tries to come in and they try to change my identity, they try to change my name, they try to make me somebody who I'm not meant to be, we have to purpose in our minds and in our hearts, I'm not changing who I am. But this relationship with God is the most important thing to me, and that's why my name is Daniel, that's why my name is Cade, and I know who I am. I'm not changing for this world. Then we move on down to Daniel chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. And then also in Daniel 2, chapter 10, or chapter 2, verse 10 through 13. And this right here, in this relationship with God, you'll start to see some separation. You, you'll start to see Daniel is, 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 is evidently different from everyone else. You know, he didn't change his name. That's the first thing he understands his identity. But then you see a little bit of separation from everybody else. And so verse 19 in chapter 1, it says, And the king commanded, uh, communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen even just like a YouTube magician, but those guys are pretty good at what they do. And Daniel and these three Hebrew boys were ten times better than even the best magicians and the best astrologers. There was something different about them. And it says that the king found no one else like these four men, like these three Hebrew boys and Daniel. There was something different about them. They had separated themselves from the rest of the pack. They had separated themselves from the rest of the young men. They had separated themselves from everyone else. There was something different about them. And, and I have to believe that if they hadn't made that, that stand that, you know what, I'm not changing my identity, I don't know that there would have really been a separation 
There really wouldn't have been much difference between these four men and, and the rest of everyone that the king would have seen at the time. There really wouldn't have been anything that, that would have stuck out to the king and, and made him say, bring those four men before me. Let, let me commune with them. But th there was something different about them. There was something different about these men that, that, that stood out and, and separated them from the rest of the pack. And then verse 10, it says, in chapter 2, it says, The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things that any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause, the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. So first you see Daniel is separated, one, because of who he is and what they can see in him. And there's something different about him. There's something in these three Hebrew boys that separates them from the rest of the pack. And you see all the good things about these young men that separates them. But then it starts talking about who they were separated from. And, and, and they start, you know, talking about that gap between the two. And, and, and that's really where you can see, you know, at first it just says they were separated, they were different, and, and you can try to comprehend the separation. But then they talk about th these other men that, that they're being compared to. And, and, and there's just such a separation between these two, these, these four boys and then the rest of the pack and, and, and these astrologers and, and these magicians. There's just something different, something that, that can't be measured Something that you can't really put your finger on. You, you, you can't put it in a box. You can't, you can't put a number on it. There, there, there's just something different that separates them from the rest of the pack. And so when you have this relationship with God, first you have to know your identity. And once you've made up in your mind that you know your identity, you're not changing for anybody, you're going to start to see some separation. You're going to start to see some separation from, from the world. You're not going to want to participate in some things. You're not going to want to be a part of some things because the moment that you give in to desires of this world, the moment that you give in to, you conform to this world, you give in to, to the pressures of this world, then you're no different. Then it, then it seems like there's no separation. That, that thing called the Holy Ghost that you've got inside of you, it doesn't really seem, seem to make a difference in your life, and, and you're just like the rest of the world. You're just another face in the, in the crowd, and, and the world can, can try to tell you, you know, you're special, you're unique. But, but the truth is, if you're not letting the Holy Ghost work through you, and you're not allowing God to use you, and you're not showing forth and showcasing that relationship that you have with God, it, it's really of no use. You're just, it's, you're just another face in the crowd, and, and that might sound a little harsh today, but it's the truth. That, that's the truth, and, and I, I feel like I have to say that. It, if you're not separating yourself, you're just another face in the crowd. But that's a requirement of this relationship with God is to be holy and to be separate from the world. And you move on, and, and, and part of this relationship, you know, making up your identity and, and, and separating yourself, those, those things might, they might seem a little hard. But there are some, some good things about the relationship with God. I, I say there's some Every aspect of, of my relationship with God. I've never experienced anything like God. I've never experienced anything like his presence. There's no one like our God. And I'm so thankful to have a relationship with him where, where yes, he can require some things of me. Yes, he can challenge me. Yes, he can ask me to do some things. But, but in his goodness, in his, his graciousness, in his, in his mercy, there's, there's provision. 
and there's protection. And in this relationship with him, there's blessings. And so Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, verse 19 through 23, it, it begins to talk about that provision that, that God gave Daniel because what had taken place at this time was that the king had had a dream. And, and the reason why it's talking about all these astrologers and all these magicians was because the king had sent forth for some men to come and to interpret this dream for him. And what he needed was, was somebody to interpret this dream because he was feeling uneasy. He wasn't feeling at peace with himself. There was something going on. He was troubled. And so he needed someone to come and to help him. And where everyone else failed, Daniel was there to help. And it wasn't because of anything that Daniel could do on his own, but rather what it says was Daniel sought out the Lord, and the Lord helped him, and he revealed unto Daniel what the dream meant. And if you go back to what it had said in that last little verse there that we had read in verse 13, it says, And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. So if it's not for Daniel knowing his relationship with God, knowing that his God was a provider, knowing that in that relationship it's not just all about requirement, but there's provision, there's protection, there's blessing, knowing that it's not just about what we can give, but there's also a lot of things that God gives us. And there's a lot of blessings that he pours out to us. And so Daniel knows this in his mind. And so where the king sought to destroy these men, where he sought to, to kill off anyone who, who couldn't help him, Daniel was there to, to save the day. Daniel was there, and it wasn't because of anything that Daniel could do on his own. I'm sure he was, he was strong. I'm, I'm sure he was, he was smart. I'm sure there were a lot of good qualities about Daniel. But unless you've got God on your side, unless you're allowing him to work through you, yeah. those are all going to fall short. Right. Those are all going to keep you just, just you know, a part of the pack, and, and you're not really going to stand out, and, and you can try to survive on your own, you can try to do all these things on your own, but the truth is you're always going to fall short. You, 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 see, you see people that try to find, uh, they try to find joy, they try to find peace, they try to find happiness, they try to find comfort, and a lot of things that aren't found in the presence of the Lord, and, and they, they might be doing good for a while, and, and your eyes might fall upon them and think, wow, they're, they're really doing well for themselves. but there's a lot of things that you don't see. There's a lot of things that you don't see in their life. They're, they're not at peace. They're troubled. They don't have any comfort. They might have all the gadgets in the world. They might have the best home. They might have the best cars. They might have the best family, but there's a lot of things that you don't see, and it's things that you can't measure. It's things that you can't count. It's things that you can't you can't group up, and you just it's just like that thing that in Daniel that they could see. They knew there was something different, but you can't really tell anyone what it is because it's just it's just too much for you to comprehend. It's nothing that you can create. You can't make artificial peace, and you can't make artificial joy, and you can't make artificial happiness and comfort because it's true and genuine joy, peace, happiness. It's all found in the presence of the Lord. It's all found in that relationship with God, and Daniel knows that. And so he, he, he goes to God, and, and he asks that, Lord would, that the Lord would, would reveal it to him. And it says, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he challengeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what it is in the darkness and the light that dwelleth with him. See, God provides for Daniel, and Daniel's response is praise. See, provision and praise, they go together. They're, they're two things that are inseparable. When God provides, we're meant to praise him for it. 
You praise him even when he doesn't provide. It seems like he might not be present. It might not seem like he might be in the situation, but you praise him anyway. So then how much more when God shows up and he provides do we praise? God reveals this dream to Daniel, and he can't. He doesn't go straight to the king. He doesn't go off and show that he knows. He doesn't boast among the astrologers and the magicians. He doesn't go and show off everything that God has done for him. But in that moment, all Daniel can do, all he can do is praise. All he can do is show thanks and gratefulness, and all he can do is say, God, thank you. You saved my life again. You've delivered me from this king who was going to kill me if you didn't provide. You showed up right on time. How many of us can attest that God shows up right on time? It might seem like everything's coming against you. It might seem like pressures are trying to conform you and, and, and things are starting to get to you, but God always provides. He provides in ways that no one else can provide. You can ask for all the money in the world. You can ask for all these other things in the world to, to try to bring you peace, to try to bring you joy, but there's no place like the presence of the Lord. There's nothing like this relationship with God that brings you things that you can't measure. You can't count. That's also been in my spirit recently. There's things in the presence of God you cannot measure. You, you, you cannot find anything like the presence of the Lord anywhere out there. I don't care where you go. They can try to convince you that, that, that it's the trip of a lifetime, that, that it's, it's the best thing you've ever experienced. But then I come in in a moment. And everything else melts away. And I'm in the presence of the Lord and nothing else matters. I've never experienced anything like that. I've never experienced anything like the presence of the Lord. And you, you can try to, to have material possessions. You can, you can ask the Lord to, to bless you with material possessions, and you can try to be successful. You can try to figure out which stock to invest in next. You can try to place your, your trust and your faith in a lot of things that are going to fall short. And then you come into the presence of the Lord, and there's nothing like it. He provides what you can't. He provides what no one else can. And so Daniel in this moment he praises the Lord. He says, thank thee and praise thee. In verse 23, he says, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. And in that, in that verse, he says, o, o thou God of my fathers. Daniel knows that he's not just a God that's far off. He's not just a God that... That, that, that is for everyone else but me. He, he, Daniel knows that God is not just a concept or an ideology. You know, the world, there's a lot of them out there that try to tell you that God isn't even real. He doesn't even exist. But, but even those who do give credence to, to uh, even just a creator, it doesn't even have to be God as we know him. Or even those who do give credit to God, they, they, they try to convince you that God, you know, at the beginning, yes, he might have created everything, but then he stepped back and he kind of lets everything play out. But, but my God is present. My, my God is there in every, in every hard time, in every struggle, in every valley, in every mountain, in every moment of my life, God is present. There has never been a time where I've called out to him and he hasn't answered. There's never been a time where I've turned around and he wasn't there to wrap me in his arms. There's never been a time where he wasn't present. You, you can't believe that lie of the enemy that to, to believe that God is, is just sitting on his throne and just waiting for us to come to him. And No, he seeks you. He's there in every moment and every day and every night and every season and every circumstance. He's waiting for you to come to him. He's seeking after you. God is present. He provides for Daniel. Daniel praises him. That's another aspect of this relationship that we see. 
And then because Daniel has, has you know, he's proved himself, he, he's made known that he's a man of God, he has shown forth this relationship that he has with God. Everyone knows that, that, that Daniel guy, he's got something going on in his life. He, there's something different about him. And God starts to give him some opportunities to, to show forth that relationship. So it goes from Daniel just being himself and just living a life, not, not, not for the purpose of, of, of you know, really, really uh, showcasing what God has done in his life, but rather he's just kind of living his own life, being faithful, you know, uh, being, being just and, and, and living a life according to this relationship and this covenant that he has with God. But then God, he opens up a door and he gives an opportunity for, for Daniel to really show forth his relationship with him. And so in Daniel chapter 2, verse 27, in verse 30, this is where he comes back to the king and he tells him exactly what his dream means. He tells him exactly what it is that God had told him. And Daniel answered in verse 27, it says, In the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king where everyone else fell short. They couldn't do it. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And so he goes on and, and he tells the king exactly what the secret is. He goes on and tells him exactly what the vision means. And so verse 29 and verse 30, he goes on to tell him. And verse 30 says, but as for me, the secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have any more than living but for their sake shall, that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. And so the reason God gives Daniel this opportunity to, to minister to the king and to reveal this vision unto him, one was to save his own life. God provided for Daniel's own life. He, 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 he snatched him out of the snares of death, and, and he delivered him from this trial and, and, and from this thing that Daniel was going through. But it also says in verse 30, Daniel tells the king, this secret was not revealed to me just for myself. It wasn't just so I could live, but it was for their sakes. You know, these astrologers and these magicians and everyone else that fell short, you know, they might not have the same relationship with God that Daniel did, but that didn't much matter to Daniel. Daniel didn't come and reveal the secret to the king and say, you know, I don't really care what you do with these guys. I just wanted to save my own skin. But the reason God gave Daniel this opportunity was, one, because he knew Daniel would, would, would stand up to the test and, and he would answer, but for the purpose of others and for the purpose of saving everyone else who fell short, those who don't have that relationship with God, those who couldn't answer the call like Daniel could, those who didn't have someone like God to provide for them, God sent Daniel to save them. God sent Daniel to be the one to provide for them and to be the one to, to, to save them from death. And so, so God is going to start giving you opportunities in, in your relationship with him, not just for yourself. Yes, he's going to provide. Yes, he's going to be faithful. Yes, he's going to be present in every moment, in every season, in every circumstance. Yes, he'll be there for you. But, but what we have to understand is this relationship that we have with God is not just for ourselves, but it's for others. It's an opportunity to witness about God. And, and that, that's the great commission, isn't it? 
to go and to spread the gospel to the whole world. He, he's going to start giving you once he can trust you and once he knows that what he's placed in your hands is something that isn't just going to sit there in your hands and, and kind of waste away, but he knows you're going to begin to work and you're going to begin to use that, everything that he's given you for the purpose of his kingdom, to expand his kingdom, to reach the others. God's going to start opening up opportunities and, and where everyone else falls short to, to reach the needs of others and where everyone else falls short to, to, to help out everyone else and, and to bring joy and bring peace and bring those things that you can't measure. God is going to use you as a vessel to reach others. That's our great commission is to reach others. Just as God used Daniel to save others, God is going to use your relationship with him to reach those who, who can't save themselves. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 46 to 49. And this is after Daniel has revealed the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. He's already been saved. The other men have been saved. King Nebuchadnezzar's response in verse 46 is that he fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many, many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king that he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. It's in this opportunity that Daniel had to, to minister to the king, to help the king out when he needed help. It's in this opportunity that God afforded Daniel. And when Daniel responded and was there to answer the call and, and to be there when God sent him and God requested of him and, and called him to do these things, God pours out blessings upon Daniel. Yeah. Daniel had, had separated himself because he knew his identity. Daniel had praised God. God had provided for him. God had opened up doors for him to witness and to show forth who God was in his own life because of that relationship. And because of all these things, God blessed Daniel. And so after he, he ministers to the king, the king makes him a, a ruler over a province in, in Babylon. He doesn't just just go from, from scraping by and, and, and just making it by and, and just barely survive. And now he's a ruler. Now, now he's got some influence. Now he's part of the king's court. Now he's, he's got some, some friendships and fr some relationships that actually mean something. And, and you know, he's, he's, got a, he's got a lot of people that, that are under the sound of his voice. And they know who Daniel is now. He's a ruler over things. God has blessed him. And, and that's what God does in, in your relationship with, with you. He, he, he blesses you. It's not just things that you need. It's not just what you need to survive. It's not just what you need to, to get by. But, but God, he's our father. And in the Bible, it says how much you know, a father in, in, on the earth can, can give their kids great gifts. How much then does, does our father want to bless us? How much then does, does God want to bless you? And, and he wants to bless you. The, the, the world is going to try to lie to you and tell you that, that, that God does, he, he, he despises you. And, and all that God does is he judges. And all that God does is, is he, sits, he sits above us and he looks down on us and he condemns us. And that's what the world wants you to believe. But, but I want, what I want to tell you today is, is that God wants what's best for you. God wants to bless you. He wants not just to provide for you, but he wants to go above and beyond. Everything that you can ask or think, he does exceedingly abundantly above what you ask or think. God is a, is a blessing God, and God is merciful, and he, he's a provider, yes, but, but even more than you need, God wants to give you more. 
God wants to bless you. And so I'm sure Daniel could have, could have kept on living just as another, just as another uh, Hebrew boy and, and living in Babylon. But, but God said, I, I, I'm so thankful for what you've done. I, I'm so thankful that I have this relationship with you. Let me bless you. And so, so he elevates Daniel. He elevates Daniel to a place of ruler over a province. And, and it, it seems like Daniel's on this high. seems like Daniel's made his way up to, to this mountain. Him and, and, and the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel also asked that the king would, would, would lift up these three men, and, and the king obliges, and he lifts them up. And it seems like these men are all at the high point in their lives. And, and it seems like everything's going right, and then, and then everything really starts to fall apart. And, and, and we see in, in this next portion of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 3, you start to see some trials in the lives of these men. You really start to see where where this relationship isn't, isn't based on the valley or the mountain, but rather it's based on consistency. It's based on faithfulness to God. It's, it's based on trust in him. You know, There are going to be good times, but there are going to be some bad times. But the important thing is to know that, that God never changes. Your life might go up and it might go down and you might be all over the place and it might feel like you're living in troubled waters, but, but God still sits on the throne. God is good. He never changes. He's faithful. He's just. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never Never changes. Your circumstances might change, your situations might change, trials might come, but God never changes. And you see in in this in this chapter of, of uh, chapter three of Daniel, starting in verse eight through thirteen. I don't know that I'm going to read every verse here, but but this is the story that I'm sure most of us know. But if you don't, I'll go through it. This is the story of the the three Hebrew boys, and there were some people, you know, the ones who had kind of been uh, been. Stepped on, they, they probably had their feelings hurt when Daniel had been interpreting dreams. These, these magicians, these astrologers, these men who, who couldn't rise up to the challenge, they had probably had their feelings hurt. And, and so they wanted to plot against Daniel and plot against the three Hebrew boys. And, and so what, what they do is, is you know, Nebuch King Nebuchadnezzar had just had this great moment where he acknowledged God as, as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And, and he had done all these great things. And, 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 and then you see you know, he kind of starts to falter here because then he, he requests all of Babylon to, to, to bow to this golden image of himself. And, and you see King Nebuchadnezzar, he's not perfect. He, he requests something of, of these men that goes against what they know to be true in their relationship with God. I mean, that's, that's the most important commandment is, is not to worship any other idol, not to worship any other image but God. And so that's exactly what the king requests of him here is to worship this golden idol. But these three Hebrew boys, they, they refuse to bow down. They, they refuse to, to, to lay down this relationship that they have with God because they, they, they've seen God work. They've seen him provide. They've seen God do all these things for them. They've seen him be true and be faithful and be just. Everything that we read about in the Bible is true. It's not just meant to lift God up and to make you think that he's, he's a good God, but he truly is. Everything that is written in the Bible about God and everything I've experienced about him, it's true. He's perfect. He's holy. And so because of that, they refuse to bow. And, and so these men, they, they, they say, King, how, how are you going to let these men not bow to you? They, they, they're disrespecting you. They're not honoring you. And, and because of the decree that had went forth, because they didn't bow down, they were to be cast into the fiery furnace. They were to be bound up. And if you know the story, you know that these men, they get cast into the fire, just the three boys. But when they look in the fire, there seems to be a fourth. There seems to be a fourth, the form of the Son of Man and the Son of God. And, and, and there seems to be another in the fire that, 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 that is, is keeping them from the flame and, and protecting them. But what's incredible about this story is it, it, what kind of fear 
would have been oppressing these three boys. We know the end of the story. We can flip to the back of the book and see how the story ends. But, but, but what were these boys going through? I, I, I have a tough time believing that before they went through that, that they could read their own story and know how it ends. I would have to think that there was still an aspect of fear. But, it, but in this story, it's a matter of faith over fear. It's a matter of knowing who God is, knowing he's a provider, know, knowing that he blesses us, and, and knowing that that relationship with God is the most important thing, knowing that the world can try to cast you into a fire and, and try to harm you, and, and you know, if the, the fire does overtake you, if these things, they do overtake you, and so be it. I get to go be with my Lord. But these boys, they had, they had purpose in their minds. They had made up in their minds. They knew their identity. They knew their purpose. They knew who God was because of that relationship. And so they're cast into the fire. And then the Lord, he comes and he protects them. And they look in there and they think, how in the world did they just survive the fire? And so, th so these three boys, are, they're saved. And, and God has shown to be faithful and just and true. And he proved himself time and time again to help in times of need. And so it was in verse 23 through 25, after this story has taken place, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said of the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And it's after this story, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but for the sake of time, it's after this story that King Nebuchadnezzar sees God provide. He sees God be true to who these men had said God was. He sees God work even in the midst of, of King Nebuchadnezzar trying to tear them down and, and trying to make them conform to the pressures of, of that time. And in Daniel chapter 3, verse 28 through 30, after God provides and he shows himself true, then King Nebuchadnezzar spake in verse 28 and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. His servants that trusted in him. And have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. So now we go from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not just knowing who their God is, but now because they've allowed God to be shown forth in their life, they've allowed God to take them through some trials and to prove himself faithful and to prove himself just. Now King Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that that's their God. Now King Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So you have this relationship with God. He wants to bless you. He wants to provide. He wants to lift you up. He wants to take you to every mountain, mountaintop. And he wants, he wants, to, he, he wants you to thrive and, and to succeed. But sometimes you're going to go through a valley. Sometimes you're going to go through a trial. And, and the world wants you to turn on God. And, and the world wants to make you bitter with God. And they make you want to, to, to be resentful towards him simply because he, in that time, he doesn't seem quite as evident. It doesn't seem like he's there to provide. And to the rest of the world, it might seem like he isn't. But he's always present. He's always there. And when he takes you through these trials, it's for a purpose. 
And I believe that the purpose of this trial at that time was to take these three Hebrew boys through the fire so that God could once again prove himself. And what results here is in verse 29, he says, Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there it is, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Can we go back to verse 29? I just want to read that again. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What had to take place for this to be said? It was a trial. It was allowing God to prove himself in our lives. God is so great, and he's so good, he's so gracious, he's so merciful. There's so many great things about the presence of the Lord and and following after him and answering this call, but there are going to be times that there's going to be trials. There are going to be hard times and struggles, and there's going to be hardships, and there are going to be things. Life here is not perfect, and it makes me think, you know, as much as God provides now, as good as God is sometimes now, and how good he is when I get into his presence and everything else melts away, how much then greater is heaven going to be? When I don't have to worry about the pain of this world, but I don't have to worry about hardships and struggles. When all I get to do is just stand there and praise his name and lift him up, everything good that you experience now, how much better is it going to be? But while we're here, while I'm still in this flesh, while I'm still doing this thing called life, while I'm still figuring out how to be an adult, while I'm still trying to figure out how to do taxes, what even are those? What is car insurance? Please, someone help me. While we're still figuring this out, while we're still figuring this thing called life, there's trials, there's hardships, there's struggles, and it's for the purpose of God being glorified and for the world to look on us and say, that's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's the God of Daniel. That's the God of Cade Wallace. That's the God of Pastor Staten. They can look at us and they can see that relationship. And so because of, because of time, I'm gonna, I want to bring it to a close. In, in the story of Daniel and the lion's den, we see in this story that, that Daniel has been promoted. Once again, he's at a high in his life. He had, he had come into a good relationship with the king at the time. He had been elevated. There was a lot of blessings taking place. There was a lot of opportunity that he had been afforded. There's a lot of good things going on in Daniel's life. He had, he had become friends with the king, King Darius at the time. And, and once again, some people thought, you know, the going's getting a little too good for Daniel. And they thought, how, how can we plot against him? How can we bring him back down to size? And, and so what they did is they spoke into King Darius's ear. Even though they were friends, essentially what they got King Darius to do was to make a decree that no man could, could request anything of God. They had to come to the king, and that was the decree. Essentially, what they tried to do was, was in a subtle way, make the king say no relationships with God. You know, you had to conform to what the decree and the law of the land is now, and, and that's what they tried to get Daniel to do. But Daniel had made up in his mind. He knew his identity. He knew exactly who God was. He knew that relationship that he had with God. God had been just a little too faithful for him to give in to such a decree that the king had made. God had been just a little too good for Daniel to give up everything that he had worked so hard in this relationship to have. And God was just a little too good. And so what I love about this story is I don't know how Daniel prayed. I don't, I don't know what Daniel did. 
before this decree. I, I really don't know what his prayer life looked like. I, I probably had to be pretty good to, to, to decide that I'm not giving up prayer in the midst of this decree and in this law that goes out. But Daniel... I, I, he might have prayed in his closet before. He might have been real quiet. And the truth is he could have gone home and he, he could have prayed in quiet. And he could have made sure no one else knew he was praying. He could have made sure no one else saw this relationship. But in the, the time of the most pressure, in the time of, of, of the world trying to conform him the most, Daniel goes home and he opens up his window and he prays three times a day. He says, in your face, essentially. Just in the most PG way to put it, he says, in your face. He says, you ain't changing nothing. This is who I am. I know who God is. You're not taking that from me. You can bring me, you can, you can, you can threaten me with death. You can threaten me with, with a lot of things, but my relationship with God is the most important thing to me. I'm not giving that up. And so the king, he has to follow through with this request. He, he probably feels a little dumb after he finds out that Daniel prayed. He's probably thinking, man, they tricked me. That's my buddy Daniel, but I'm the king. I got to follow through. And so he, he cast Daniel into the lion's den. And Daniel spends the night, and once again, just like the three Hebrew boys, he didn't know the end of the story. He didn't know that God would shut the mouths of lions. He says, even if he doesn't, I'm still going to praise him. I'm still going to have this relationship with God. He, he's still my God. I still know him to be true. I still know him to be faithful. No matter how this plays out, he's still my God. But God provides. Once again, God's there. King Darius shows up the next day. He's, he, he walks over and I'm sure it was just a hopeful cry out. He, he's like, hey, Daniel. Hey, Daniel, in there, buddy? And he, he probably, <laughs> Daniel's probably in there like, yeah, I'm here. Like, come on. <laughs> like, he's probably thinking this is the latest sunrise I've ever seen in my life. And he, he's probably thinking, my Lord, God, you've been good. I hope you continue to be faithful because them, them lions are looking scary. King Darius shows up and he says, Daniel, he's still in there. And he says, I'm still here. God has provided once again. And Daniel, after he goes from, from this high place, this place of elevation, he had been brought to this trial. He had been brought to the place of death. And, and God provides once again. And what do we see? Just like King Nebuchadnezzar with the three Hebrew boys, he says, that's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's no one else like that God. There's no one else like the God of those three Hebrew boys. King Darius says, there's no one like the God of Daniel. There's no one else like him. And then where he had made a decree where no one could pray to God, then he made a decree that everyone would worship the God of Daniel. Everyone would lift up the God of Daniel. That's where prayers would go. That's where petitions would go, would be to the God of Daniel. Not to any of the other gods, but the God of Daniel, because that's the Lord of Lords. That's the King of Kings. That's the one who wins the battle every time. That's the one who proves himself true every time. That's the God of Daniel. And I promise, I've said this twice now, I'm bringing it to a close. But that's how you get to a place where you can have your name written in that blank. That's how you get to a place is, one, you know your identity. One, where he provides for you and you praise him. One where he blesses you, but more important than that all, it's really easy to praise God when the going's good. It's really easy to give him praise when, when he's shown himself true and, and proven himself, but it's in those times where, God, where'd you go? Where are you at? I, I wasn't facing this before. It's those trials, it's those hardships, it's those struggles, and that might be where you're at right now. God is still your God. God has not left you. He still sees you as his son and his daughter. And it's up to you to understand that's still your God. You know, there's, there's some things I probably don't go through as many hardships and struggles as you do. 
But in my own life, there have been times where I've gone through things and I have to remind myself that's my God. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. And as much as that brings me comfort and that brings me peace and that brings me joy and that helps me, why did God take these men through these trials? Why did God take him through these different things? It wasn't just for themselves. It wasn't just so that God could show himself true. They already knew God was good. But it was so that King Nebuchadnezzar could say, that's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So King Darius could see God prove himself true and say, that's the God of Daniel. And then in return say, you know what? There's no other God like his God. There's no other God like the God of Daniel. We're going to lift our praises to God. We're going to lift our praises to the one who deserves it. He's the only one who proves himself true time and time again. And so that, that's what I want to leave you with today. That, that's what I hope that I've conveyed to you today is, one, how to get to that point where you write your name in the blank, and two, why. It's so that others can see that that's your God. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand together? There's... Two important places for our name to be written. I think McCade talked about the importance of our name being in that blank. When, when people say about God, I want them to be able to say, well, that's, that's, that's Jason Staten's God. And man, I want them to be able to say, that's Tim Wagner's God. Yesterday, I'd, we had taken Brother Price and a few of us, had Brother Josh, and we'd gone golfing, and I, I saw one of my friends in there that I run into from time to time, but uh, we, we grew up, I think we started playing Little League Baseball together when we were eight or nine years old, and then we uh, played some high school ball together, and then we played softball together, and from time to time, we'll run into each other, and, and uh, he, he was there, and we were, were talking, but what, what my mind was taken back to is when this young man was uh, 12 years old, he was diagnosed with leukemia, and they had given him just weeks to live he was in the hospital and it was I mean, the, the doctors had said they'd done all they could do they had tried the marrow transplant that didn't take and uh it was the countdown is really all that was left and my dad I remember my dad and I went up there and walked in that hospital room and prayed for him and within a matter of a month he was out of the hospital and there was no leukemia in his body and every time yeah and every time I see him now I know he knows that's the God. That's the God of Jason. And, and if he needs a prayer request, he'll reach out to me because, because he connects that, that healing God with me because he saw God in me. Amen? And I, I wonder, is, is, is your name in the blank? Is God being demonstrated in your life? Is, have you taken on that identity and said, you know, I don't want to be like this world. Amen? I don't want to be like this world. There, there are some things in this world that I think from our carnal, our carnal standpoint are good things. But I don't want to be identified with this world. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Amen? And will I, do, will I praise him when he blesses me? Well, yeah, everybody will praise him when he blesses. Well, some will. Some take it for themselves. Right? You say, well, you're blessed, and they point to the plaque on the wall. Well, that's why I'm blessed, because I went through 10 years of college, and I'm Dr. Jason now. No, I didn't, and I'm not. I'm, I'm using that as an example. And when they're blessed, they point to what they've done. So not everybody praises God when they're blessed. There is something to be said about those who continue to say, you know what, the reason I'm blessed today, it's because of him. It's because of the Lord on my side. Amen. You want to know why I've got a great family? It's because of the Lord. Amen. 
But then the greater question is, can you bless God when the lion's den is on the calendar? When, when there's persecution? And when we can answer those questions, our name goes in the blank. But guess what? When your name's in the blank, there's another place your name is written. And that's the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. There's going to come a day when every name in this place, they're going to look through that book and they're going to say, oh, yep, I see, I see Savannah right there, Savannah Jones. She's in the book and we get to enter in. Amen. I see Moses and Angie Velasquez and Gabe and Aaron there too as well. And we get to enter in because our name is written there. Amen. But our name is written there when we demonstrate what Daniel was talking about. Amen. Amen. What great teaching today. What great uh, exposition of the book of Daniel. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to get ready to enter into our worship service. So we're going to open the doors now and the kids are going to come in and we're going to enter into a great time of worship and, and some adults as well. I know there's some adults out there uh, as well. So we want to welcome everybody. in. so take a moment to greet somebody there nearby you and welcome our guests as they enter in. And let's create an environment here in just a moment of worship. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So